We have uh, endeavored to uh, consider the one another, what we call one another passages from the New Testament in these weeks. And today we, we look to encourage one another. You see, the questions that we will explore in our response time, along with those that may arise in your mind in the course of this morning, how are we encouraging one another in the present tense? How can we, or when, excuse me, when, when can we teach one another? And the third one, why, why must we exhort one another? We had previously spoken of the priority that Christ gives that we should love one another. And we spoke of an understanding that the one another that is spoken of throughout the New Testament is in fact church. One another is another one of the ways of saying church. Love the body of Christ. Love the church. Love one another. All synonymous. All saying the same thing. It's the commandment of our Lord to those whom he has called out of the world and into the body of Christ. Love one another. Not speaking of monasticism, not that idea of go off and just hide behind high walls and just be a, a little community all unto yourselves. I don't think Jesus ever intended that. I don't think that's a, a valid understanding or life in the New Testament. Not isolation from the world, but rather the intention is that this is a, a, an identity, a self-identity, a self-understanding of who we are as a follower of Christ. And this is an understanding, an identity of who we are in Christ rather than any other sense of a, a worldly identity. I'm a Christian that is a lawyer, not I'm a lawyer that's a Christian. Somebody needs to write that down. Not the lawyer part. I mean, fill in the blank. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. My identity, who I perceive and understand myself to be, is a follower of Christ. And subsequent to that, again, there's, there's, there's an unlimited number of possibilities of how, how we identify ourselves in the world. 
I picked lawyer because none of us are a lawyer. I could have used Kelly, but I don't know what Kelly is. So. <laughs> he is a Christian. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Could be a lawyer. So what's the difference? The difference is in who we perceive ourselves to be and in that perception of our own self-identity, out of that flows that primary motivating factor. The primary motivating factor in the life that you live. How you live out your life. What it is from your heart that motivates you to be who you perceive yourself to be in priority. The one who knows him or herself to be a follower of Christ. Here's the command of our Lord, love one another. And we'll prioritize their life to obedience to that command. And it is in the context of the church that we understand that this love is realized. The church, the scriptures call the body of Christ, the the ecclesia, those who are called out, those who are members of, of one body, And the scriptures, the New Testament certainly gives us an image, an idea of of who we are as the church with, with a cohesiveness, right? A cohesiveness that is unique in all of the world, in all of human relations. The the cohesiveness of church is unique unto itself. The only human relationship that compares is that of husband and wife. See Ephesians... (laughs) What an encouragement. Christ intends for his people, his church, to be joined to one another with a strength of bond that will inspire all in the world. Christ intends that his church be joined together with a bond that inspires awe in the rest of the world. Love one another. The Trinity of God, the truest example of a bond of love, exceeds all others. And hear this. As God has enjoyed and does enjoy Uh, joy, fulfillment in the Trinity, it is His desire, it is His intent that His people should likewise enjoy a bond of love with Him and with one another. 
God has not called us to this bond of love, that it would be a burden to us. It is not God's intent that this should be a, a difficult thing, that this should be a, a, a trouble in life or a problem to be obedient to this command. But rather that in the church, in that bond of love as God's people, there's fulfillment, satisfaction, gratification in living in union with the body of Christ. Now this is, this is not a popular idea, not a, not a well, widely held understanding and appreciation of, of who we are as the church. Rather, it seems to me that the inclination of contemporary religious organizations seems to be always outward. The popular idea of church is charity. Charity toward the world. Reaching out. Certainly doctrinal fidelity and worship of God take a back seat to acts of charity in the world. And to suggest that Christians first and foremost have a responsibility to each other to love one another is found to be sacrilege in many places. But in fact, it is the one another passages that dominate Christian relationships in the New Testament. It is for the church, it is for the church that Christ died and rose again. It is for His church that Christ will come again. And if the church reigns so highly in the love of God, where lies our prerogative? By what authority do we give ascendancy to love the world over love of our brothers and sisters in Christ? It can only be motivated by our own self-will, pride, and a disobedient, rebellious nature. This is my command, Jesus said, that you love one another. Now again, throughout the New Testament, we find those places where we're, we're, we're told how, what, what this looks like, how, how it works out that we love one another. And in his uh, epistle, his letter to the church at Thessalonica, the book that we have is 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, has been laying before the Christians in Thessalonica the, the, the idea, the understanding of, of where their hope lies. That in, that in which they can find hope and the promise of, of God in their lives. And he comes to the, to the therefore of 1 Thessalonians 5.11. That therefore, that connecting word, that 
word that tells us that what he's about to say follows on to and adds to and, and helps to understand what he has said before. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11 we read, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I love that this encouragement to encourage one another is encouraging. Encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. How encouraging is that? Isn't it encouraging to hear that what you are doing is is, is encouraging and building up the, the body of Christ, just as you are doing. Let us be sure to understand that it's okay, it's good to encourage one another in what we are already doing. Therein is encouragement. That word of encouragement that, that does, in fact, build up encouragement, a, a boost to one's endeavor to serve. It's like the second stage of a rocket, right? You already had the takeoff, already in flight. The first stage begins to peter out. Boom, the second stage fires up. Away you go. That is encouragement. As you're already doing. Encourage one another. Build up. Edify. Do that which, which, which makes stronger. This idea of build up is, is the same idea that we encountered in Ephesians 4.12 where the work of, of, of the, uh, the ministry is for building up the body of Christ. And just let me say kind of in passing that building up, encouraging is not tearing down. And this is genuinely the, the attitude of some that the way to build up is, first of all, to tear down. I don't think that's consistent with the Word of God. I think encouragement, words of encouragement, should come as a way to to build up, to provide that boost. I think Carson and Abby do a, a wonderful job with this equipment back here. They turn those machines into something that genuinely contributes to the, to the quality, if you will, of our worship experience. Thank you, sir. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some things that they could do better. I mean, 
In all honesty, I could probably do a better job myself. And I'm fairly sure that I could point out some things. Smile, please. Which of those things, which of those, what, those things I said, which of those is encouraging? Which of those builds up? Which of those is the boost to serve evermore, to keep on doing that which is of benefit, value, worth in the body of Christ? As we love one another, Christ would have us to encourage one another, to to build up one another, even as we have been doing. I'd always heard it said that it's easier to frown than it is to smile. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's kind of one of those things I've always heard. So it must have a grain of truth in it. And so just as it takes more effort to smile than it does to frown, let us be sure to understand that it's going to take effort. It's going to take more effort to build up than it is to tear down. As a matter of fact, our sinful nature tempts us to tear down. We have this strange idea in our minds that arises out of our sinful nature that tearing down somebody else builds me up. Putting you down raises me up. In truth, it doesn't. The reality is that tearing down another, putting down another, Put your own self down. So let us, let us make sure that we make the effort, that we understand that it requires some attention, some thought, some love, that we would build one another up, encourage one another. Finding fault is only an inclination to boost my own pride, while encouragement will in fact build up the body of Christ. One more example, if I may, personal example, and Ben will relate to this. In, in seminary, uh, in preaching class, uh, you have to preach to a room full of preachers. And then after you've delivered your message, they... Uh, give you feedback. Some encouraging. Some not so encouraging. But rest assured, it is those who give the words of encouragement that can, can say their feedback, give their critique, in an encouraging way, are those that build up. Philippians 2, 3 
tells us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is all about being an encouragement. This is all about building up in the body of Christ. And so it's fair to ask yourself, is what I am doing, is, is what I am about to say, is it going to be an encouragement? Is what I'm about to say going to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? I thought about James chapter 3 at this time. I'm not going to read it. As soon as I mention it, you, you know what I'm talking about. James chapter 3 talks about how, how the tongue, our, our words, our speech, very, very difficult to control. And in fact, have, have a sting in them, have a fiery sting that can hurt tremendously. We're encouraged to, to make the effort, to put the control over what we say. And in the context of our, our message this morning, I think it's a value to always have that, that kind of introspection. Is what I am saying, is what I'm going to say, is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be hurtful? Is what I have to say building up or tearing down? Is what I have to say for my own benefit or for the encouragement of others? As we love one another, let us encourage one another, build up one another, in Christ. We encourage one another as we teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankful, thankfulness in your hearts to God. There is a time to admonish. There is a time, a place to correct, to point out a need for improvement. We had a kind of a standard saying in, amongst leadership in the Navy who always said that you praise in public reprimand in private. I think it's a good standard. Think about what you have to say and if, if the necessity is to offer an admonition to provide some correction, it's, it's most likely best done one-on-one. -on -one. But the Scripture, the New Testament, 
sets before us the idea that we should admonish, we should teach and admonish one another. And it's a sin against the Word of God if we do not admonish a brother or sister. It's a sin against God and it's an offense against our brothers and sisters in Christ if we do not admonish a brother and sister of the death-dealing disaster of sin. It may well be done with reluctance, and yet, in that reluctance, we will admonish in love. And in this admonition, we are doing so in faithfulness to the command of our Lord and Savior that we love one another. It is in the admonition, the caution, the warning against sin that we are faithful and true to the Lord our God, to His Word, and to one another. The need to admonish does not preclude the call to encouragement. They're not, they need not be, two different things. It is in wisdom that the Scripture calls us to admonish. It is in wisdom that we teach. And that is wisdom that comes from the Word of Christ. It is wisdom that comes from the Word of Christ which is in you richly. That is to say, the Word of Christ which is in you with power, with effect, with meaning, with truth. And so it is by the Word of Christ that we are called to admonish one another. It is in this very context, this idea of admonishing one another against the dangers of sin, that Hebrews 4.12 was written. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Admonish, teach one another, as the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. For it dwells in you with power. The Word of Christ dwells in you with effect. And as we admonish according to the Word of God, we don't have to worry about applying our own standards. We don't have to apply what seems to us to be right and wrong. We don't have to tell anybody what Mama said. But rather, the Word of God is the standard. It is the Word of God to which we appeal to admonish against the temptations of sin. It is the word of Christ by which we offer to one another encouraging admonition. For in the word of Christ, therein lies life. It is in the word of Christ 
where genuine joy is to be known. An admonition according to the Word of God is encouragement. For our hope is in the Lord, who is made known through His Word. With thankfulness in our hearts to God, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to teach and admonish one another the word of Christ. Ever to build up, ever to build up what is good and to warn, to caution of that which is destructive. Keeping in our minds and our hearts 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. This is a, uh, this is a sometime difficult idea. A sometimes difficult uh, thing to do. For many preachers to admonish in love, to admonish in an encouraging way. It's not easy. It requires some, some thought, requires some prayer, requires some, some work. That when you stand before God's people, that you be faithful to God's word. You be true to his word. But you admonish, you point out sin as the danger with which it's described in the scriptures. And that you do so in a way that calls to the love of Christ and his call that we love one another. So as we do all in love, Hebrews chapter 3 gives us the call that we would exhort one another. Beginning in verse 12 in Hebrews chapter 3, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We see here, how important, how, how powerful is, is the necessity that we, we relate to one another, that we have this, this bond with one another, that we as the church of Christ, the called out of Christ, that we know one another in Him. 
that we may endure, that we may persevere, that we might, we might at times be the faith for one another. This is a, a, a so very interesting to me, the, the idea that is set before us here to exhort one another comes from uh, a Greek text, the word parakalite. <coughs> it is exactly the same word in the Greek text for 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that is there translated by our translators into the word encourage. They're not disagreeing with each other. And they're not, it's not that one's right and the other one's wrong. But rather it is that in each context, the English word that is given is, is the best understanding of the intent of the passage. And so it is that in 1 first, first Thessalonians, the idea of parakalite is to encourage. In Hebrews Three, it is to exhort. However, it's not exclusive. And so it is that, that there is an element, an understanding, that, that there's some exhortation involved in the encouragement from 1 Thessalonians. And there absolutely is some encouragement that's intended in the exhortation of Hebrews chapter 3. Look at it very closely. You see that that's exactly the idea that's there. In a very dangerous situation, right? It's been set before us here in Hebrews. That, that one-anotherness, right? That's, that's what's going to bring us through. They're exhorting one another. How often? When? How much? Every day, as long as it's called today. No limitation. Perhaps even more interesting, and some of you Greek scholars have already perceived this, parakalite is a verb form of the noun form by which the Holy Spirit is described by Jesus in John chapter 14. There, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the parakalitos. I think this is significant. I think it's important. And we understand, as we read in English, what Jesus is saying in the ESV, the scriptures, the 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 text that we typically refer to here. ESV calls the parakalitos a helper, a good translation of the word. Of course, those of us that grew up in the King James Version, we know that the parakalitos is the comforter. And this is also a very good translation. NIV, which served some of us in the intervention, and the intermediary between King James and the ESV, 
The parakaletos, the Holy Spirit of which Jesus speaks, is called an advocate. Again, a very good translation. For the word and means and Jesus intends, I'm confident, that that which he will send to his people is the comforter, the helper, is the advocate. And in each and every instance, Jesus gives us to understand that this parakalitos, this Holy Spirit, will be a continuing, abiding, always present in the lives of His followers. Ever present with us, the teacher of truth, always calling to mind, always reminding us of our Savior, forever making God's peace known to us. These are the things that Jesus speaks of to his disciples, that he will send to them the helper, the comforter, an advocate. And then in John 16, 8, Jesus says that the parakletos will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I see in both 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Hebrews 3.13, that here, as, as we are called to exhort one another, as we are in 1 Thessalonians told to encourage one another, using the, the same word with which Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the helper, the comforter, the advocate, and the one who will convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That this is exactly what the Scriptures intends for us in relationship to one another. That we will be helpers to one another to teach, to be the helper, the comforter, the advocate for each other. And ever present, always abiding to be, to be to one another like the Holy Spirit is to us. And so as a Christian, the call of God's Word is, is to not only be Christ-like, amen, but we are also to be Holy Spirit-like. To be that advocate for one another. To think... Thinking others more significant than oneself. The helper. The comforter. And I think, I, I think it's absolutely essential that we recognize 
that in, in our, our holy spiritness for one another, that we understand that as the Holy Spirit is always present, always abiding, always coming alongside, right? That that is who we are to one another in the church of Jesus Christ. Always present. Always with. Always coming alongside to help, to advocate. And as necessary, to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. You've often heard me say that the time that I spent with hospice was some of the most rewarding ministry of my life. And one of the things that I learned in hospice ministry, that in so many instances, the most valuable thing that you can give someone is yourself. to be present. So very often, it is so helpful. It, it is such an encouragement to simply be present. Now you understand that a, a person like myself, as, as you know me, I, I want to give advice. My, my sense of helper is to Fix you, right? Solve your problems. No. No, the, the greatest gift is presence. Just being there. Not talking. Listening. Not fixing but comforting and not teaching but learning. I think this is very much what God would have us to be to one another in our, in our Holy Spirit likeness being ever present and so doing as Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, we give glory to Christ our Savior. And we bring peace into the lives of others. Oh, how, how often I have erred myself that in my endeavors to be a ministry to, to others. I did not bring peace. So, let us always love one another. Encouraging, exhorting, teaching, admonishing. And all that we do done in love.
it occurred to me that for those that have just signed on because they wanted to go to heaven, been terribly misled. There's so much more to being a Christian. There's so much more to being a member of the body of Christ than just getting to go to heaven someday. For in Christ we are given a new life. A life in Him. And a life that is lived in accordance with His Word where we find responsibility for and to the other members of the body. Responsibility to encourage and build one another up, to teach and admonish one another, to exhort one another as we love one another. Let me ask you this morning, where is your love of the church? Where in your heart are the people of God? I ask not, what have you done? I ask, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love his church? Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word, and we thank you for the encouragement of your church. We pray, O oh God, that as the Holy Spirit abides, that you would grant to us the discernment, the strength, O oh Lord, that we might be faithful to your word and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.